Hello, and welcome back to the podcast that just won't die, Tales from a Cult Insider. Yeah, I told allish the stories from the cult, but I have more to say. Um, and, and, and the truth is that I, I have to be honest about something. But first, let me give you the quick intro. Um, and we'll come back to I have to be honest about something. Um, this is Tales from a Cult Insider. I am your host. Uh, and storyteller Jared Garrett. I am glad you're back. I'm glad to be back with this epilogue. This is epilogue two, finding parts of myself even today. Um, quick recap, I was raised in a cult. As you already know, it was called the Foundation Faith of God. Before that, it was called the Process Church of the Final Judgment. Uh, and before that, I'm not sure. It was a splinter cult from Scientology that started in the 60s, though. About the time I was born, um, it schismed into two parts, and one became the foundation faith of God, what I grew up in, uh, and one became or maintained itself as the process. You could do some Google research and find out that nothing that I'm telling you is false. Totally true. I'm here to tell you all about growing up here uh, in this cult, uh, which I'm not in anymore, so I shouldn't have said here. Uh, I've done a lot of that, but there's more. It turns out there's more. It's interesting. There's more in the basement, as Rocky Balboa said in the surprisingly wonderful uh, installment of Rocky, Rocky Balboa. Um, I've had a lot of anger to work through, but I'm actually, I'm really doing well in the anger front. Um, I've been praying a lot uh, for the gift of forgiveness, and I'm finding that it um, it works. I, I just want to be at peace, you know? I want to I wanna not find myself um, angry randomly. I want to be in control of, you know, how I express emotion and I want to be in control of what I allow into my heart and into my head. I don't want to give things free rent. You know what I'm saying? I think that's kind of how the term goes. As always, your questions can be answered if you have them. Um, if I get enough questions, I guess that I, I could make another episode just for that. But in the meantime, the plan is to have this epilogue, have a couple more, uh, and I'll be recording the final episode of this podcast. Um, well, I'll be doing it in Kanab, re re real near best friends, which is what the, co the cult finally evolved into. Of course, best friends does great work and I bear no malice, but that'll be a fun um, full circle thing. I'm really, really excited about that. Uh, that I'll be recording that in November. Uh, you can reach me at Jared, that's J-A-R-E-D, at JaredGarrett.com. Alrighty. Um, I hope that uh, you enjoy this episode. So something I have to be honest about. Uh... You know, I, I, I find that I talk about growing up on a cult annoyingly a lot. Um, I mean, my coworkers, I'm leaving my, my day job here very shortly due to my wife being a superhero. Um, and um, I'm excited about that. And a little bittersweet, especially as, you know, we've had a few more dental and, 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 and health medical bills type things than I expected. It would be nice to have a couple of incomes for maybe a few more months, but we're going to be okay. Um, I trust that all will, will turn out well there. But, um, you know, you know, my coworkers all know I grew up in a cult. Um, when I first came on, it was a story that I was urged to tell to my coworkers multiple times. Um, the, my, my, the congregation that I attend, my ward in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they all know I grew up in a cult except for you know, some of the more recent uh, members who've moved in because we haven't met together very much uh, due to COVID. Um, yeah, and you know what? I think this is my first episode recorded during COVID, so I hope you're all okay. Uh, do your best to uh, stay safe and help others. 
Uh, don't let fear rule you. There's optimism and hope everywhere, and there's beauty even more everywhere. So enough of that. The honest thing is that I, I get annoyed at how often I talk about growing up in a cult. I feel like it's not, um, you know, it, it doesn't need to be all of me, right? And sometimes it feels like it's all of me. Um, but And then there are times I'm like, does, does it, this have to be part of my identity? My whole life, do I always have to be that former cultist guy? I sometimes get irritated at my bios on like Instagram or Twitter. You can find me on Instagram, by the way, at jaredn.garrett. But if, yeah, join me over there. But uh, I, I post just basic, really humdrum, boring family photos and stuff um, and family vignettes. But it's in my bio, former unwilling cultist. It's kind of my brand, it seems like. But I'm also a heckin' good writer. I'm a very good storyteller. I mean, I, I'm good at this stuff. I'm a great public speaker. I'm a good teacher. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty good dad. And I think I'm uh, an always improving husband. And by golly, I think I'm becoming a better kisser over the years too. I'll tell you what. But I just wondered, you know, sometimes do I, do I have to always identify myself as a former cultist? I sure, I don't. The truth is I don't. But I saw somebody online um, who like... Uh, and I see this a lot, actually, you know, they identify as part of, they mention something in their bio or, or, or when they're describing themselves, that's a part of who they are, that they, there's no getting away from it. They don't let it hold them back. They don't let it weigh them down, but it simply is part of their identity. Um, you know, say your sexual orientation, say, um, you know, say you, you, Maybe you're a former NFL player, you know. If you if you played in the NFL, you're always going to say you played in the NFL, right? Um, if you are uh, a recovering alcoholic, you're probably always going to call yourself a recovering alcoholic, even if you are you're strong, you're secure, you're you're for sure good. For sure is of course a, a hazy thing to say when it comes to addiction, but I believe that all things can be healed through through faith. Um, and through the power of God. So, you know, there we go. Very religious. So, you know, I, I have to tell you, you know, now I'm, I'm 40, little year, 40 something years old and, and, and I just found more of myself. You know, I just found a little more comfort and peace uh, with the fact that, you know what? Yeah, I just am a former cultist. It's, it's who I am. Um, I think part of that came with, you know, my wife just finished reading my memoir. She's been very busy, of course, with law school. So, you know, She's only just made it through and, you know, she had some nice thoughts to say and share. She learned more about me and that's interesting how it goes, you know, with us, uh, you know, other people learn more about us. And you know what? I think we're learning more about ourselves even when we're 40 mumble mumble years old. Um, so, yeah, I am finding parts of myself even now. I think that's very interesting um, and, and I'm, I'm at peace with it and I'm comfortable with that. Um, and finding part of myself is also continuing to find forgiveness uh, for some of the crap that, that I experienced. Um, interestingly, I also was conversing uh, with a, a coworker who shared some um, astonishing, just really extraordinary experiences that she and her husband had um, that are mind-blowing, a great physical trauma that caused, I mean, fundamental disruption to life. Um and that'll never leave them, right? You're always going to have that as part of, you know, going forward. Every step we take becomes another step. And this, these 10 steps along, we still wouldn't be at, we wouldn't be at 10 steps without taking that first step, which maybe was a different one or an odd one or an unusual one or even a turning point. Uh, and so I, I'm going to stop complaining at myself. 
I am about, you know, being a former unwilling cultist and identifying as that um, as often as I do. But I also will continue to try to be not too obnoxious about it. I will do my best to not be uh, passive aggressive about it uh, and to not lead conversations always towards, hey, this guy grew up in a cult. Uh, I don't want to do that. That's um, that's not who I want to be. I want to be a more um, generous conversation um, participant. So, you know, an interesting thing. But more things about finding myself. You know, it's been it's been occurring to me that there were some things I really left out um, of both being in the cult and after the cult. Uh, and one of them is music, and the other is being a firefighter. Um, I know I talked about music here and there, but I want to share some some real thoughts about music for you. I don't. I, I know I've been very clear about, you know, like how important books were to me growing up. You know, I've been very clear. I mean, episode two or three is about the library, isn't it, guys? I mean, I'll just double check here. I, I forget. It's not here. But it's it's really early on, really episode three or four. I don't know. Was entirely about the library and the, at the Oak, Oak Hills branch down or Oak Lawn branch down in, in Dallas. How I read every single science fiction fantasy book and every single comic book there, especially Spider-Man. I read those multiple times, um, you know, for all kinds of reasons. One, because I loved Spider-Man. I loved the artwork. I loved the writing. I loved the character. I thought MJ was kind of hot, tell you the truth. Kind of a sucker for brunettes and redheads. Anyway, so um, books, of course, were huge for me. And as I've, as I've thought about that more, I'm not creating this and gaslighting this in my head. I'm, I'm realizing the truth, and that is... It is because of books that I had my outlook on life that I had, which was heroes can be real. You know, the perfect man can be a real thing, or at least an always improving man striving for perfection can be real. I can be my true love's perfect love. Uh, and that's what something I strive for for many years as a, as a youth, uh, you know, with my getting physically fit, getting control of my emotions, learning to meditate, learning to write well, tell my stories well trying to be sensitive, all that stuff in personal development. Um, books were huge. But I don't think I stressed how important music was for me as well. Um, what, you, you, you know, I talked about finding quiet places, dark places or hidden places where I could just be at peace to read. But I also relished the moments that I had where I knew nobody was going to burst into a room. Uh, where I knew I was alone, truly, fully alone, so that I could experience music the way I wanted to experience it. Now, I've always wanted to be a good singer. Like, I've always wanted to have a cool rock and roll voice, be able to hit some of those notes that Steve Perry hits, you know, from Journey, maybe somehow sing the way the guy in Boston sings or Sticks or Kansas. Um Living Color, I could scream like um, the lead singer there. Is that Vernon Reed? I think it's Vernon Reed. Anyway, um, but yeah, I relished those times where I could be alone in a room, turn on my music, and just jam out. Uh, pretend I was the lead singer, that I was in a concert, that I was totally just killing this concert venue as a lead singer of this band. Van Halen all the time, Bruce Springsteen, uh, bad English, all these guys and big country for sure. It was just, that was kind of a thing for me. Um, and these songs were meaningful to me, you know, I mean, it, it, at times it felt like 
the song's lyrics were even speaking to me. But really, there was just kind of a spirit to the songs that lifted me. Some of those songs really were meaningful to me since I have always been and continue to be uh, a romantic and entirely hopeful and optimistic romantic. You know, the love songs like Journeys Faithfully, those meant something to me. I would put myself in the position of the lead singer there. Highway run into the midnight sun. You know, I would pretend I was that lead singer um, and act like I was playing the piano, you know, that, that those opening beautiful chords from Faithfully. And I'd sing them. I'd belt them probably poorly, but I would do it like crazy. I'd sing them out, and sometimes I would just lip sync them, especially if it was like um, Sammy Hagar or David Lee Roth, who I couldn't sing like them at all. Um, and so just really want, want to make sure you understand how important music was to me. It, those were moments of pure escape, pure being myself, pure being a nut job, and I could only do it when nobody else was around. And I bet that's pretty familiar to a lot of you guys. I mean, we all did that. I think people still do that to this very day. Um, it's great. Uh, music was a big part of my life. Um, but interestingly, um, it also became a soundtrack for my life. I, I found myself finding songs that um, could kind of be soundtrack for me. Uh, you know, so songs about defiance, songs about uh, not letting the the man get you down. Um, you know, as Jack Black says in uh, School of Rock, uh, they have stick it to man, stick it to the manitis or stick it to the man, some disease or something. Um, that's freaking awesome. I have that uh, in spades and I don't seek a cure whatsoever. Um, but I was just, w one of the reasons I want to bring this up is because those songs still have a powerful effect on me. So um, first off, again, romantic through and through to my core. I talked about having a crush uh, as the uh, season ep the season finale for ep for season one. It's called, okay, okay, I had a crush. It's one of my more popular episodes. It's funny. Uh, the Scottish chick is what we can call her here, right? Um, I, I directed every love song to her. Always I was thinking of her when I was, when I was um, singing those or jamming along to those love songs, Faithfully and others. Um, Jackson Brown's, you know, um, Shape of a Heart. You know, that was a kind of a sad one, but you know, it was, I was like, we're going through a hard time. Um, I was always just creating these narratives that would match these songs in my head and they were just pure escape and I loved it. Um, one of the, one of the artists I listened to back in the day a lot, I loved his, uh, more upbeat and I loved all of his stuff was Chris DeBerg. That name might sound familiar to you because he's the guy who sang the lady in red, you know, the lady in red. I'm off there is dancing with me, right? Yeah, he's, he's, he's got a lot more than just the lady in red. He's got an album that's full of just ace music. Uh, it's called The Getaway. It's got songs like Don't Pay the Ferryman um, and um, The Getaway and uh, Ship to Shore. Uh, so for some reason, we're, we're coming home from a road trip just, uh, just last weekend. Uh, and... For the last hour and a half, I usually turn on music and put my earphones in because that, that re-energizes me and keeps me focused on my drive. And I want to, you know, stay fully alert for the drive because I have to make sure I make no mistakes, right? I can't feel dozy. I can't feel complacent about driving. So it helps me get going again. And for some reason, I thought of Chris DeBerg. Don't pay the ferryman. And so I, you know, I, I, I search for that on my app and 
Up comes Chris DeBerg's Don't Pay the Ferryman. And literally 10 seconds in, and I'm grinning from ear to ear, and I'm grinning again right now, listening to that song in my head right now. Um, I was just grinning. Couldn't stop. And then I just kept going through the entire Getaway album, uh, Ship to Shore, The Getaway, Borderline. These songs had... The, the, this album, it's like it's a portion of my life is just caught in in a time capsule where the capsule is actually this album. I mean, there are certainly lots of other songs, but I hadn't listened to this album in so long. It brought back visions of the red sand of Southern Utah because I listened to this album the summer that that I met the Scottish chick Sharon, right? And I I listened to this album in Dallas as well in two different home, two different houses, no, three different houses there. And it was always just this cool jamming music. I loved it. It was it, it, it was often upbeat. Uh, it was just great. And and they're really cool songs, by the way. So really check out Chris, Chris DeBerg, uh, The Getaway. Great, great album full of good, fun songs that you're, you're not going to hear, stu- hear stuff like that uh, in a lot of places. Anyway, so, you know, albums like that, they just, they carry, they're like a time capsule with, with the songs being the walls, the actual capsule of that time and containing um, images and memories of life and that's interesting that that's really how it felt to me to be playing those songs because you know studies are showing that that music can even help calm and settle and even be therapeutic for for alzheimer's patients you know it seems like it brings back special things special memories and calm um i am unsurprised by that given my current experience there are other albums like that do you have albums like that guys think about it do you have albums that just encapsulate a chunk of your life or, or, or bring back images from that, that chunk of your life? I've got a couple more, if you don't mind me sharing. One is uh, Bruce Springsteen's uh, Born in the USA album. I believe it's just called that. That whole album, um, I'm on Fire, Born in the USA, um, Dancing in the Dark, all that stuff. Just I can play that album and I am transported instantly to Dixie, the house that the boys lived in and also the grown girls lived in for a while before they were all moved out and we were just boys. Dixie in Dallas, the house on Dickinson. I'm transported to the 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 kind of peeling and worn wood siding on the outside to the, you know, expansive hardwood floors, the echoing sound of those hardwood floors and and the hollow core doors on the inside. Um, I'm transported to one of my beds um, there, a bunk bed, a metal bunk bed that creaked like crazy. Um, and I'm transported to another bed that I had that was like a couch that I would turn into a bed at night. Um, I'm transported to my cassette deck, right? That I would put that, that Born in the USA album into. That was the only music I ever received, by the way, as a gift. I received it, I think, from Christmas when I was 12. Um, I think that's about right, 11 or 12. And I listened to it until the tape just completely dissolved, basically. I listened to it so much. Um, and only only a little while, you know, several years later, did I realize that Born in the USA is, is entirely uh, an indictment of um, so much around the Vietnam War and, and, and stuff like that. You know, uh, I mean, I could hear the anger in it, but I could also hear, well, I, I imagine that I could hear, you know, Born in the USA. Um, but I also, again, didn't care too much about the lyrics. I just cared about how they made me feel and how the music made me feel. The upbeat tempo and all that. Um, and 
one thing, one element of these of music that I love is when the singer just really puts a lot into it. And boy, Bruce Springsteen puts a ton into Born in the USA. You can just feel the, you know, this anger, this need, this yearning, this desire for something in his voice. It's great. So Born in the USA, that album is another time capsule for me. Um, and um, there are others as well. I don't need to name them all. But in any case, so finding... Once again, a refinding the getaway by Chris DeBerg was like finding another piece of me that I think that I'd forgotten, you know, some, some of that kind of naive, um, joy, some of that, um, naive and, and, and sweet, more, you know, less cynical, less jaded me, you know, um, when I was not angry at the cult, when I was not, uh, trying to avoid the adults or, or trying to find a way to get back to them or, uh, feeling like things were out of control. So um, I appreciate that what, what that album brought back to me, um, that there was joy. Um, and it brought back some of that joy from, from my life, uh, in that cult. I am grateful for music. And if I could find Christopher, I would shake his hand. Um, anyway, so there's that. So another thing of finding myself. So coming out of that cult, my identity was wrapped up entirely in anger and in defiance um, and, and, and in showing them that they weren't my boss, uh, I am happy to admit that there are still parts of my, my personality and the way I live my life that is about <clears throat> showing people and showing entities that they're not my boss. The only boss of me is God, right? M my God is my boss. I have a leadership position in my congregation and I am delighted to serve and I'm delighted to do what the leaders say, but that's out of choice because I have committed to doing that. But I also do it eyes wide open through study and pondering and prayer. My only real boss is God. Absolutely. Fundamentally. And none of the leaders of this church would disagree with me. Absolutely not. Right. Um, so yeah, my, my identity was tied up in saying, you're not my boss. And today it still is a little bit and in anger and in bitterness and in showing that I was stronger than them. Uh, and when you get out of that, what's left, right? I mean, who are you pissed off at anymore at that point? Where's your bitterness being directed at? You got out, Jared. What's next? So, but the thing is, I was so wrapped up in life upon getting out that there was no time. I didn't bother taking the time to ponder at that time who I was. I just did stuff. You know, if it was in front of me, I did it. If it was, if I was going forward in this direction and this over here looked different, um, or looked more interesting, I'd go that way instead. That's how it was for me. I was making friends. I was hanging out. I was playing D and D. I was dating a large amount, uh, learning how to smooch. That's great. You know, um, and that was good. You know, overall, I, I absolutely believe with certainty that cannab and those beautiful people whom I met and interacted with and who caught me essentially, uh, were critical to my carefully unpressured in an unpressured way, finding myself, finding my feet. One of the things that I found about myself and I often thought that I had this was, you know, I wanted to be a hero, right? So I wanted to find this, but I found out that I really did have this. And that was, I was a bit of an adrenaline junkie and I really liked doing dangerous things. And so <clears throat> one of the reasons my dad and his wife and their daughter, my dear sister, um, we're in Kanab is because, you know, obviously best friends is right there, but you know, for a couple of years before they were found their way out of the cult, um, my dad was 
uh, a volunteer firefighter on the Canaan Fire Department. And I knew about that, and I thought it was rad. I thought firefighters were cool, you know, and jumping, going into fires and saving people. That's freaking awesome. And so actually, right after I graduated, you know what I did, guys? I joined the Canaan Fire Department. I became a volunteer firefighter. And I did it, um, like, again, right after I graduated, probably within a couple of months, I joined up. Um, I was 18, you know, right after I graduated. And so, uh, yeah, I got trained. I, my dad wasn't my training um, officer or guy, whatever, supervisor. I don't know. A guy named Grant was. Grant was fantastic, big guy, um, really fun. And um, I, I loved it, man. I found that, you know, I was one of those guys who feels pretty comfortable running towards where there's a need. Um, never any hesitation about going towards it. I just never cared. I, I, I cared about the fire, but I never felt like there was danger to me. I felt like I've been trained. I know what I'm doing and this is going to be great. We're going to go make a difference in the world. Um, so I want to tell you a little bit about, bit about being on the fire department. One is that um, you've heard of scuba gear. S-C-U-B-A. Well, firefighters use S-C-B-A's. They just take the underwater out of the acronym, right? Um, one of the things you had to do was be able to put on all your gear, including an S-C-B-A, uh, under a certain amount of time in order to be a certified firefighter one. Um, I did that on my third try um, after learning how to put it all on. Did it in under a minute. Um, and there are some cool tricks you can do uh, that I don't think they show us enough in the movies, but maybe because it's too ticky-tack or too detail-oriented. But a lot of firefighters, especially down there in that volunteer department, um, when we took our gear off, we actually would, re before we took our coat, well, we'd take our coat off, but we'd have our, 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 our gear, our turnout gear, um, and maybe some suspenders or something that kept it up our waist. Uh, we'd keep that on. We'd reach down and unlace our, or loosen up our boots, and then, you know, loosen our feet in those boots, and then we'd push our pants, our, our gear pants down. Obviously, we're wearing trousers under there, right? Um, and we push them over the boots, pull our feet out of the boots and the pants at the, at the same time so that you could just, when, when, when you're responding to a fire, you could just run, stick your feet in your boots, pull your pants up, and you have pants and boots on uh, like that. And you can jump onto the, put, put your, your jacket on, throw the SCBA in, on and have your mask ready to go, jump on the, the truck, and you're on the truck in 40 seconds. Um, and then you're tying your shoes as while you're on the truck going to, the, to, the, to, the, to respond. So that was rad. Um, the first firefighter thing that I responded to was not a fire because it turned out the firefighters down in Kanab were also first responders to car accidents. And um, so the first one I responded to was a car accident, which was actually not a car accident. It was in fact a semi-accident in which a bunch of Brahma bulls, so young Brahma bulls, I believe it was, were being hauled in a, in a, in a cattle truck uh, around the North Rim and there was some ice or something, and the, the semi jackknifed and then flipped onto its side and slid maybe 100, 200 yards or whatever. And so firefighters showed up. It smelled like terrible, terrible things. And we uh, extracted multiple bramables from this thing. That was my very first exposure whatsoever to anything that the firefighters did. It was disgusting. It smelled really bad. We actually wore SCBAs to try to keep some of the smell out. Uh, and we did Jaws of Life. We did the um, the the this the power scissors. I forget what they're called. Power snippers uh, to cut, unfortunately, some Brahmable legs to get them out, uh, and some of the truck holes and stuff. Uh, it was a pretty gnarly thing, and unfortunately, many of them died overnight too, just because of shock. Um, 
But that was quite an experience, guys. That was my very first one. And you know what? I, I went back. I went back for more. Um, the next, the first fire I responded to, well, it was a dumpster fire. No, literally, it was a dumpster fire. Probably some knucklehead kids uh, had done this. There was a dumpster just behind the elementary school down there. <clears throat> I think near a... The elementary school down there is right next to a church, uh, a chapel for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There was this big dumpster there. Not, I guess not overly big, a regular-sized dumpster. We, we showed up um, to the call and... Um, it was a dumpster <laughs> on fire. Some kids had clearly set it, and we, you know, we took some at so, so an attack hose and sprayed it until the fire was out, and sprayed it some more until there was less smoke coming out, and then we went home. And a couple of hours later, we were called back to it because it had been it had reignited. Apparently, the fire had it, it dug down deep enough into the dumpster that uh, it was hot enough that it reignited, and so that was embarrassing for us. And so we took the the water cannon on top of the one truck and we just basically emptied the water tank on that truck into the dumpster the dumpster was full of water it, it overflowed before we were done the fire was out the smoke was gone we weren't going back to the dumpster fire that was a funny one uh, probably my favorite fire was the one at perry's lodge i actually was a server there um at the restaurant for some time with uh some wonderful friends great friend who i later dated named aaron um and uh we you know, I, I liked the job well enough, but I mean, I was, I was a young person. I was like, I'd like to not have to work today when, you know, like one night I go to bed. I'm like, I wish I didn't have to work tomorrow. And I was awoken by my beeper, you know, which is what we used back in the day to tell us there were, there was a fire to respond to. Heck, I think some of those guys still have that. I think that might be the system down there still. Anyway, <clears throat> so um, I jump up and um, I hear the announcement. I'm like, oh crap, it's at Perry Lodge. So I drive past Perry's Lodge to get to the fire department, fire station. And I'm like, yeah, there's smoke coming out. I jump in, get my gear on. We 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 show up. We roll up, uh, and there's smoke coming out one of the some of the windows. And um, I mentioned, hey, I work here. And because of that, I actually got to be on the first team. I was the second person on the on the first team, uh, leading the leader of the team where we should go because it looked like the fire was kind of high up. And we were. I was gonna just kind of say, okay, we're in the kitchen. If we go this way, we'll go into this part of the kitchen. And if we go this way, we'll go towards the cooler. And we just followed the smoke to where the fire was, which was right above an oven. Looks like a roast had been left in or something. Um, and it had all caught fire and there was fire in the ceiling. We knocked open a door, man, and fire rolled out the top. Um, we were in on, we go, you go in on your knees so that you're under the, under the smoke a little bit. You, you go in very carefully. Everybody's holding onto the hose so nobody gets separated. And we found the fire and we put it out and then we followed the hose back out. And that was that. It was awesome. Um, I did a couple of other fires, several brush fires, um, a couple structure fires, a uh, couple. The last fire I responded to was pretty crazy. Um, it was actually, I had technically left the department because I was about to go up to school uh, here in Provo, uh, Provo, Utah. You know, so I, I, I left the department a couple weeks before so I could have plenty of time to get ready. I was um, just coming back from a visit to, uh, I think, northern Utah or Cedar or something. So I was coming down into the north end of town. And as I'm driving into town, um, I see a large plume of smoke coming up from some building nearish to the north end of town. And so I, I'm like, what the frick is going on over there? So I drive up and, you know, I'm, I'm careful. of I don't want to get in the way of anybody. As I drive up, I find I show up on the scene um, and I see Vince Vincent. Um, crazy, crazy, hilarious dude. Just a fun guy too, but nutters. 
Uh, he's like, Jared, go get your gear. I'm like, no, Vince, I'm not on, I'm not on the department anymore. And he's like, dude, this is a big one. You go get your gear. And I could see, uh, what was going on. What it was, was a long, low barn, if I remember right. Um, and some of these kind of meld into others. So I hope it's, this is the right details. Um, it's a long, low barn that has collapsed. Um, it's burning like crazy. There's fire in several spots, lots of smoke coming up and there's still several teams trying to put out all the fire. There are a lot of hot spots. He's like, no, we need some help. We got a bunch of young new guys, and these were guys I knew, you know, from high school who'd like serve missions and come home. And they were like, I want to be on the fire department. And that was cool. And they're like, we ha he said, we have a bunch of new guys. They need some guidance, and we're, we're trying to put this fire out. So I'm like, okay. So I ran back to the station, and guess what? My gear was still there. I just jumped into it, got back into my car, <laughs> and drove to the scene, jumped out of my car, and um, then uh, got uh, went and worked with, I think, Danny. Um, and Christian maybe, uh, putting out fire and, you know, showed them how to attack the base of the fire where it is and not where the flames are coming, going to, you know? Um, and we had a funny experience where, uh, we, you could step on this tin roof that, that had been on the shed slash barn. And as if you push down on it, flames would kind of push out and you could let go and flames would go back, but you would kind of bellows it and flames would just come foom, foom, foom out, um, towards the end of the, or no, toward towards the beginning of my time there, which is already kind of towards the end of the experience, word was passed down that there may be ammunition on one end of the of, of the of the barn and it may have even gone off, but nobody was hurt as far as I know. But that's terrifying. Um yeah, hey guys, if you're um if you're storing ammunition in your barn, please don't let your barn catch on fire. I mean if you even if your ammunition is in those good ammunition boxes like they have in the army, they're metal, the that clip closed real well, guess what? If it gets hot enough, that gunpowder powder still going to ignite. And you know what that box is? It's a freaking fragmenting bomb, essentially, right? There's no way it holds up to that many bullets with their gunpowder all exploding all at once, igniting at once because of the heat. So let's just not let barns with ammunition catch on fire. So that was a fun one. That was my last fire that I ever responded to after I'd already retired. I was getting too old for this crap. Anyway, so... Um, all of that to say that being a firefighter, being a first responder was amazing. It, it taught me that, you know what, I, I really could be or have, I definitely had that in me, that, that, uh, that muscle, whatever it is, or that response or whatever it is to respond and fix and help in times of crisis, uh, to not freeze up, to not, um, paralyze, uh, get paralyzed over panic or whatever like that to never panic. I don't panic, right? I get really intense and focused and I do the thing and being a firefighter really helped me understand that and be delighted by that, that quality that I didn't know I really had. I'd only seen it once or twice in my life, uh, just in really li little fits. Um, so I was excited by that and being a firefighter absolutely helped me find a part of myself that is with me to this day. Now I am not an adrenaline junkie anymore. I do love driving very fast. I do love pushing myself uh, in difficult ways. Like I love endurance sports, um, but I, I've jumped out of an airplane, you know, with a parachute. It worked, obviously, because I'm here. Um, I don't seek those things anymore, and I find vertigo is a bit of an issue on uh, ro ro <clears throat> um, roller coasters because I have bad tinnitus. But <clears throat> that was a cool thing to learn about myself, that maybe I had the hero bone or hero muscle. Um, and... Uh, you know, that was confirmed when um, I responded to my first human car accident. Um, 
There was no panic. There was simply, there are things that we need to do to help these people out. Um, there was clear thought, precise thought, uh, and it was uh, a very important experience for me to see that I could do that. So there you go. Finding parts of myself even today, remembering parts of myself that I found back in the day when I was a firefighter. Um, it's always a process, right? And it's been a process, apparently. I sometimes forget I'm undergoing um, ever since I left and probably even while I was in. But again, <clears throat> while I was in, during my most conscious and aware and proactive parts of my life in there, I was bitter. I was anger personified, except for those moments of respite, reading books and jamming out to music. My friends, I I have jammed out to every band you've ever heard of, practically, um, except for like boring stuff. I don't like Echo and the Bunnymen or The Fix. I can't really jam to that stuff. I like good, solid rock and roll. I've done Africa, all of the Toto lineup, all of Journey, all of Springsteen, a ton of everybody else, Jackson Brown, Chris DeBerg, um, all those other bands I've mentioned, St Starship, heck yeah, Starship, Van Halen, all that good stuff, Metallica, uh, Nine Inch Nails, and so on and so on and so on. So um, I have no particular uh, advice for you except for remember that life's a journey, man. Um, you know what? I do have advice. I have a takeaway here. Uh, more and more these days, I have, in the last couple of years, I've been just frustrated with my all my um, hyper focus on the next thing I need to get done or the next thing I need to accomplish or the next milestone I should reach as a writer uh, or as a public speaker or as a dad or as a manager of this household. <clears throat> I've been becoming increasingly frustrated with my nextism, you could call it, or next thingism, um, when really I should ha be taking a lot more joy in this journey. Um, there's joy in the journey. There's joy in each day. <clears throat> each day is, man, each day is interesting. Each day is this series of opportunities to be our best and to forgive ourselves when we're not our best when we just like, nah, I'm tired, man. Sometimes I'm tired, man, is our best. And it's the right best choice that we could make, you know, rather than I'm going to push myself until I die. But there are also times that we shouldn't, you know, give in, that we shouldn't accept those excuses. Um, we, we, sh we should see reasons for resting as actual reasons. We shouldn't let them turn into excuses, right? That's what I'm trying to say. <clears throat> Life's a journey, man. There is joy in the journey, and I think that I, I am getting better at uh, stopping and smelling the roses, as you could say, seeing the beauty around me, um, being happy now, not waiting to be happy when I've achieved all my hopes and dreams. Um, I'm in the process of achieving my hopes and dreams, and I will be disappointed in myself if I allow myself to be miserable because of frustration and impatience while I reach them in a certain level, right? I want to be happy now. So, yeah, uh, I'll keep finding myself. You keep finding yourself. And uh, that is the end of epilogue two, finding my parts of myself even today. I hope you tune in for the next episode, which will come up, I don't know, <laughs> in a month or two. Um, it's, what is it, July, August? Yeah, it'll probably be in August or something. Um, I've got one or two more epilogues and then the final one. So um, if you have questions, again, send them into jared at jaredgarrett.com. Uh, look for beauty, look for awesomeness, and keep finding parts of yourself and having joy in the journey. Thanks for tuning in to Tales from a Cult Insider. Catch you on the next episode.